No assigned seats or anything like that. No, of course not. How dare we? This is the time of year when you touch things gently first to see if you're going to get shocked out of your brain. So that's why I went like, okay, am I going to get okay? All right, so good morning. And to all of those online, those here. And also let me say, because I'm going to plan on posting this on my Lamb Chow website, let me also say hello and good morning to my friends in India and Africa and the other places that I have no idea where you are. Um, so it's enjoyable to be able to be here this morning and get out of the snow and get a little bit more warmer weather and all kinds of other good stuff. All right. So as many of you know, I started a new job this summer at Midland School District. Now, I had spent eight years prior to that at Stark County over Wyoming, Toulon Way. And this year I'm at Midland, probably my last gig given my age. Um, now, Midland is a small rural school district, and we serve the folks in Sparland, Lakin, and Varna, have about 700-ish or so students. And my, I have kind of dual roles in the district. My main role is the IT guy. I fix all the Chromebooks, you do the server, make sure nobody comes in and tries to hack us, you know, all the cyber stuff. Um, I also teach uh, this year one year one class, next year two classes, um, in more of a career technical ed capacity. Um, and so that's kind of where that's at. This year's computer programming. Next year we're adding a course that I call business shop class, where we're going to start a business making T-shirts and some 3D printed stuff. So we're kind of looking forward to that. Anyway, in June, I started officially in July, but we started transitioning in June. But I was handed this gigantic set of keys. Now, I haven't got the foggiest idea where still where most of these go. And it sometimes is walk up to a door and start trying them until I find one that fits. And invariably, it's a lot easier to go to one of the maintenance folks and goes, hey, can you open that door for me? Because they know all the keys. Now, I've got a few they don't have. And there's even a few that I moved, the ones that I use most often. No, not that. That's the other thing. I've got my regular house key, but there is my big job key because that gets me in my room. So that one's easy to find. These are difficult to find. But basically... We just kind of kind of figure out which ones are which. Now, it would seem that a keys are a relatively new invention, but yet the Bible talks about keys a couple different places. One's in Revelation 1.18, which tells us that Jesus holds the keys of death in Hades. There's another one in Revelation 3.7, which tells us Jesus also has the key of David, which is a reference back to Isaiah 22.22. Now, that verse in Revelation tells us uh, what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. And lastly, if you remember the time when Jesus took his disciples and asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter gave a good answer. Jesus told him, now I say to you, Peter, that you, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That's Matthew 16, if you want to look at it. Now, that's really powerful and mysterious stuff. But notice that Jesus said keys has in a whole bunch. And in my mind in those, in my mind and my experience, one of the keys that unlocks the door of kingdom living is forgiveness. And that's what our topic is this morning. So let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for this time and space to be together, whether it's here in person or live on the stream or later on the stream or on a podcast or however. Lord, we just invite your presence here. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us up. Uh, Give us insight that we've never had before. Open doors, Lord, and don't close them. And, Lord, if there's some things we need closed, close those doors. And, Lord, we just give you this time. We dedicate it to you. And we open up our minds and our hearts and everything to what you have for us this morning. Uh, Amen. All right. What I didn't figure is how I'm going to balance all this stuff. So, no, I'll just sit up here. Okay. Now, forgiving and being forgiven is central to our faith and walk in Christ, right? We kind of all agree with that. There's a lot of scriptures that we could lean on to explore this, all right? There's Matt, most of Matthew 18 is one example. There's Jesus' line about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, and also the subsequent explanation that follows the Lord's Prayer. This morning, we're going to lean into something that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And in Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, Paul wrote this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, there's a kingdom principle at work here. What we receive from God, what we freely receive from God, we are to freely give to others. Think things like love and grace, mercy, acceptance, welcome, kindness, forgiveness. We as followers of Christ are forgiven by God through Christ. It's a gift of grace which we're free which we are to freely give one another. Okay? Big question. What is forgiveness and what does it look like? You guys know the answer to this one. Okay, I think you could all answer that question without any problems at all. So instead of doing this big defined thing that you already know about, I decided instead I want to look at some of the myths that we have in common culture and some of our language and different things about forgiveness. So maybe some of our misunderstandings and things that I've encountered has I've taught forgiveness and, and talked with people about it. Okay? So I got four myths, we got two blessings, and then we got another thing that we'll get to. So myth one, forgiveness is a feeling. Well, not really. We, we, don't, we may feel open, we may feel gracious, we may feel merciful, but forgiveness, when you real boil down to it, forgiveness is an action. It's something that we choose. It's always a choice of our will. Sometimes, yeah, we feel like forgiving someone. We're feeling merciful or we're feeling magnanimous or perhaps we feel that they deserve it in some way. But there are a lot of times when we must forgive and our feelings aren't anywhere close to being there. Times when they don't deserve it. Mercy seems like a bridge way too far to even get to. But Jesus' teaching doesn't qualify forgiveness in that way. We are instead commanded to forgive like God has forgiven us. Which brings us to myth number two, kind of, sort of. Forgiveness must be deserved in some way. 
But it doesn't. We didn't and couldn't deserve God's forgiveness of us. The Bible says it this way, Romans 5.10, pretty, pretty known verse. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we, he, we shall be saved by his life. Now, to understand that a little bit more, let's think about the nature of offense. Now, I don't mean football offense. I mean, that's a different thing. Defense, offense, never mind, it's a bad joke. Um, by the way, go Bengals, because my son lives in Cincinnati. So that's the only reason. <laughs> son and four granddaughters and wife. Okay. The clues to this, what an offense is and forgiveness, is kind of in our own language. Okay, We often talk in terms of debt. Somebody owes us something. That's what we feel like when somebody wrongs us. We feel like they owe us something. When they sin against us or offend us, it's just that that's how we think about it. And if you go back to even older language, we, we think about it when we put people in jail. They've paid their debt to society. Uh, I'm going to extract my pound of flesh, which basically was a way of saying, even if it takes me taking a pound of your flesh, you owe me that. That's how some of that's in the background of our language and culture and thinking. When we, we often keep mental, although sometimes subconscious, account books of that debt with the tenacity of an accountant, making sure that every penny is right. Maybe we think in terms of strikes, three or four strikes that somebody can do, and that's pretty much it. We write them off at that point. Now, Peter had the same idea, and he asked Jesus, well, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? And Peter in his question was magnanimous because even the Jews of that time thought three or four, okay? It's something in the humanity's brain that thinks that way. So in Matthew 18, 21, it's recorded this way. Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. That sounds like a good number, right? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven or 77 times, depending on the translation. Or to put it another way, as Paul did, love keeps no records of wrongs. So that's there's a breakage there where it's Jesus is setting a really high standard for how often and how long. Myth number three, and this is probably the one that's going to tweak you the most, I think. Forgiveness requires that I forget. It doesn't. That's a that's a misunderstanding that we have. It's common to culture. I get it from my folks in Africa and other places as well, that connection between forgiving and forgetfulness. And that one may surprise you a little bit. With the exception of one verse that I found, talking about God choosing to forget our sin, there's no other biblical linkage between forgiving and forgetting. Because, you know, they, they should go hand in hand. We really want to get there where we can forget things. But it doesn't mean that if I can't forgive, I can't, if I can't forget, I can't forgive because we can. Now, let me give you an example. I was really hoping my family was going to be here today because they would get a chuckle. But they are just getting back from Florida, which I have no pity on them <laughs> at all for that. So one day, back when I was, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11, I'm not sure my exact age, I was out in our backyard practicing my baseball swing. You know, like boys do, pick up a bat. 
go like this, pretend you're Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle or some other sports hero, and you're just swinging the bat, hitting home runs, no ball, just a bat, okay, just going like that. Well, what I didn't know, but my younger sister, I was, I went back like this, and my younger sister was behind me. Whacked her in the eye real good. It split open. I think it was this one. Um, solidly connected. Didn't hit her eye, luckily, hit the bone. Um, just below her eye. Now, I was so shaken. I was young. And I rushed in, told them what was going on. They rushed Diane, my sister, to the hospital, to the emergency room. We went to Grandma's house. Finally, at Grandma's house, I settled down enough to go, well, she snuck up on me, and I beat her with a bat. You know, and so... <laughs> Grandma calls the hospital, just to let them know what happened, because by then they're asking mom and dad questions like, you know, did you beat your daughter? Which she didn't, but they didn't. But anyway, so long story short, my sister forgave me about that a long time ago, okay? That's gone as far as any debt or any, that's all forgiven. But it'll never be forgotten because she's got this lovely scar right here that you can still see to this day. So is it forgotten? No. I tell the story, not forgotten. And if you ask her, she'll tell you. But the point is, is that it is forgiven. Sometimes the scars that are left by others are so deep, whether it's physical or whether it's emotional, spiritual, or relational, that forgetting is impossible. But forgiveness of that is still very much possible. In fact, that's what we're called to do is to forgive even the sense of some of those very deep things. Another myth that sometimes come up, and this is the last one of these, is that in order for forgiveness to be, the other party's got to accept it. No, not really. I mean, yes, that's beautiful. That is wonderful when that happens. When, when, they, when somebody offends or causes pain, and we say, I forgive you, and they say, yes, I was wrong, please forgive me, and that circle is completed, and reconciliation happens, that's wonderful. That's great. It feels great. And it's the best thing. But whether the other party accepts our forgiveness or not, we are called to still forgive. God's door of forgiveness is open to anybody who will walk through it, no matter where they're at in their life. Same way with us, is that we need to leave those doors open. See, their refusal to accept or to receive forgiveness doesn't give us permission to become unforgiving or to hold on to unforgiveness we can still choose to forgive even if someone is unavailable whether through death or distance physical distance or relational distance granted it is always best if the cycle is complete but sometimes we still have to do our part and we can forgive okay so in a in a ministry setting I mean, granted, God did not offend these people, but we've even had people forgive God because they were holding a grudge against God. Okay? Now, did God do anything wrong? No. That's not the point. The point is is that they needed to forgive. And sometimes because it releases us more than it releases even the other person. Now, switching from myths to actions. Actions like forgiveness have outcomes. Now, the actions of forgiveness really accomplishes two things. The first thing it does is it decouples the debt that we feel someone owes us. Now, if, if you have a loan or a mortgage and it's suddenly canceled by the lender for whatever reason, it's called debt forgiveness. That's, what, that's the legal term for it. 
No repayment of that loan is required. You're done. It's, it's forgiven. That's really what forgiveness is doing. We're taking that debt. We may remember what they did, but we're taking that debt and separating that out and saying, they no longer owe us. We're throwing that account book away. <clears throat> we burn the debt. We get rid of it. Throw it in the sea. I don't care what you do with it. Just get rid of it. It kind of like, it goes back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. So there's a little line in there, and it says, it, meaning love, keeps no records of wrong. It literally means something along the lines of keeping a tally. Some translations relate this to accounting and bookkeeping, while the message version relates it to scorekeeping. Either way, when we forgive, we erase the account books or shut off the scoreboard, and we release that debt. It's no longer something that we want. Now, that isn't easy. It's harder than what you think. But that is forgiveness. That's what it is. Now, the second thing forgiveness does is it sets us on the road to reconciliation and healing. Now, the core of Christianity, the core of following Jesus, is the reconciliation of relationships, specifically humanity's relationship with God from, you know, has a whole and on a personal level, and our relationships with one another. Forgiveness is one of those connective tissues required for reconciliation to even begin to take place. As a side note, we are in a very divided society. My view of this whole thing is the problem is nobody forgives anybody anymore. Okay? If I have to get a message out to the world in general, that's what I would tell them. Forgiveness is the key to all this. People, you know, I forgive you. Let's, let's move on. Now, Paul gave us a mission, and that's in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. It talks about reconciliation. He starts this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Other versions call us ministers of reconciliation. We are all called, anointed, uh, ordained is the really big word, to be ministers of that kind of reconciliation. Now, how that looks for you, how that looks for me, our methods may be entirely different. But our goal is exactly the same. And that's part of what we are. And the key to that always goes back to forgiveness. Because we can't be messengers of reconciliation if we hold on to unforgiveness and all those related expressions that we read in Ephesians. Ephesians. Not Ephesians. Ephesians. Get rid of all bitterness, which is the seed, which is the fruit of unforgiveness. Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. It's really hard to be any of those things if you're forgiving. As well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. Now, there's kind of a, some people try to get around that a little bit by saying with a snarl that I probably won't be able to pull off, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. Okay, that's not forgiveness. 
I'm threatening to hold something over you. And we just talked about forgetting not being important or not being the necessary component of forgiveness. But yet, if we do that, we're promising ourselves we're never going to forget. And we're still holding the debt, okay? That, that is a mixed message that just pushes all hope of reconciliation and healing out the door. Now, I keep bringing up forgiveness and healing. Let's consider that linkage a moment. How does that work? How does forgiveness, I can see reconciliation, but how does forgiveness put us on the road to healing? And I want to be careful here not to draw a direct causation, meaning if I forgive, I automatically get healed for whatever's in my head or whatever's going on in my life. Okay, it's healing always belongs to God. We always ask for it. What I can tell you, though, and I've seen this a lot of times, that healing sometimes holds until there is forgiveness. Sometimes there's healing and then forgiveness. Sometimes there's forgiveness and healing. And there's a couple of places in Scripture where those are connected up. Now, healing takes on many forms. Physical healing is obviously in view. There's also the healing of emotions, spiritual healing, relational healing, and I'm probably missing a few to on top of that. Now, forgiving offenses or sins of others may not automatically cause healing, but unforgiveness can often block healing. Now, I'm going to pull a story out of this book from John Wimber, Power Healing, that kind of illustrates this a little bit, um, that I think will help because it's something that, that they went through. So let me kind of set this up a little bit. This is back in the mid-80s, 84-ish. Um, Anaheim Vineyard, it was a rather large church from what I understand, because they sent 600 people out to plant a church in Yorba Linda, and that was about a third of their congregation. All right? So, But among the planters that, that went to the other one, and they're not that far apart, I don't think, were some relatives and close friends of John Wimber's wife, Carol. And this event stirred something gloomy in her. So this is how she put it in the book. If you want to look it up, it's on page 78 of this book, at least on this printing. I was not able to articulate rationally what was happening inside of me, Carol now says. If you would have asked me at the time how I felt, I would have told you, great, never been better. But in my heart, my innermost part, I was hurting. I also began finding excuses for not seeing my sisters and friends during the week. Throughout the summer and into the autumn of 85, Carol's feelings of hurt and abandonment worsened. Then one Sunday in October, she made an alarming discovery. I had had a hectic week and was at a low point both physically and spiritually when I discovered a large lemon-sized lump in my breast. At first, I didn't know what to do. What if it were malignant? What if I needed surgery? Now, that night, the story goes on a little bit that John Wimber and Carol pray for healing about it. And nothing happened. No feelings of power or movement or heat or anything that we would associate with God touching whatever that need is. And that kind of confused them. So, But the next morning, or soon thereafter, she made an appointment to see a doctor, which is always a good thing to do. Um, and then, But she went back to God and asked, for, asked God, what is going on here? What is all of this about, more or less? See, it says, That night I prayed asking God what he wanted for me in all of this. 
As I did, he showed me that the lump in my breast was related directly to my feelings of loneliness and abandonment. Until that moment, I had not realized how deeply hurt I was. During my childhood, I developed a fear of being abandoned, and I had allowed that fear to control my feelings towards the loss of regular fellowship with my sisters and my friends. So Carol then took that information, went back to John Wimber, um, and said, this is what I think God's doing. And so they worked through that. They, um, Carol came, let's see. This is in John's words. This is how he related it. Carol came to me and told me what, that she suspected there was a relationship between her past hurt and her current sinful attitudes in the lump. We did not understand the connection between the two, but we accepted God's revelation that they were related. So we prayed together. She sincerely repented of her bitterness. Then from her heart, she blessed her sisters and friends and their work in the new church. The result was like a huge weight being lifted from my soul, Carol said. God reassured me that he would never leave me, and I've been more confident in my relationship since then. After that release of forgiveness and blessing that's all buried in there, they prayed again. There was a feeling of power. There was a feeling of heat, and the lump began to shrink immediately. And a couple days later, it was totally gone. So if you want to read, I skipped some pieces just for time, just to give you the the gist of the story as much as I could. But in that, so Carol's, that healing touch, it began with a lot of forgiveness in there, right? There was something she needed to get forgiven from God about, something that was in her attitude. She had to forgive those people that left and, and actually bless them, which is, that's all part of forgiveness, of, and with her attitudes. And in this instance, we heard there was a physical healing part of it. There was an inner healing and there was relational healing. They're all in that story, which is one of the reasons I wanted to pull it out. So you see, and this, this is the point, forgiveness is more than just this thing we're supposed to do because we follow Jesus. Okay? It's much more than that. It really is a key that unlocks so many doors. It can unlock and release us from hidden fears. It can unlock the door of relationship and that is kept that we have kept closed for so long. It can unlock the door of a greater connection with God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing is, is that once that door is unlocked, unless we choose to, it stays open. Nobody else can shut it. So how do we forgive when we don't feel like it? This is Dale being really practical and pragmatic, which I kind of want to do whenever I kind of work through these things. Okay, I don't, if I don't feel like forgiving someone, basically we still express it. And you, I'll give you some words, but basically what you're saying is, has an act of my will, or I choose to forgive. Now, let me give you... I'm going to, it's best to be specific. As an act of my will, I choose to forgive Bob for running into my car. Now, I don't know who Bob is, and I don't know, nobody really crashed my car. But as an act of my will, or I choose to forgive so-and-so for doing such and such. Stating that, speaking it, letting ourselves even hear it, begins to break that open. And it may have to be repeated several times over, many times over. Ever, ever have this happen? It happens to me every now and again. Running down the highway, 
um, a song comes on or a road sign pops up or nothing in particular triggers a thought, which leads to a path, which leads to more thoughts, which leads to more path. And eventually I end up at this place where either I did something wrong or somebody else did something wrong to me. Why am I here? How did I get here? I heard the Beach Boys singing something, and now I'm here. How did that happen? Is that just me, or is everybody else? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. Now, it could be that we've already forgiven them. So why is this bubbling up again? Why did I end up here? It could be that the Holy Spirit is bubbling this up because there's still something that isn't complete, that he wants to deal with and work with on it. It could be the enemy of our souls trying to plant bitterness. Remember those people? Or there could be a part of the experience that while we've forgiven, it's still not quite healed yet, and the Holy Spirit wants to work on some of that. Either way, no matter what, the best thing is to speak forgiveness all over again. Reiterate that. Tell yourself that. Kind of like, um, bless the Lord, O my soul, where we tell ourselves which direction to go. And perhaps like Carol, let me add this as a kind of a, has a little bit of sprinkle on top. Maybe instead of just forgiving, offer a blessing too. Okay? That's a good thing to do. So one other pragmatic little thing. Say that you've forgiven, forgiven somebody, but the other party refuses to speak about it or even receive your forgiveness. Then what do you do? Continue to hold the door open. We are called to walk in forgiveness. We can't make people receive what we want to give them. They have to choose it. Just like God doesn't make us accept his forgiveness. We choose to receive it. So the keys that Christ gave us will open those doors and they can't shut it. Keep the doors open. Maybe one day, perhaps, hopefully, prayerfully. They'll walk through it. Now, either way, you're doing your part. So we want to walk in forgiveness. Now, I hope that you've caught just a glimpse of a truth here, that receiving and giving forgiveness is a key that opens more doors than we can even imagine. A lot, Like I said, a lot of times we think it's this little thing we're just supposed to do. So, back to Ephesians. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, as we begin to head into worship, um, I encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Ask him if there's any residue of bitterness and unforgiveness that's hidden there. Those things are kind of like sourdough starter, ready to bubble up in your heart, often in unsuspecting ways. If you know that you should forgive someone for something but still can't find the strength, ask the Holy Spirit for help. The disciples were kind of overwhelmed in this in one passage, and their response was, Lord, increase our faith. If you're having difficulty forgiving someone, that's a perfectly good prayer. Lord, increase my faith in this. And then afterwards, uh, just skipping ahead a beat, after worship, uh, we'll be up front. And we'll, if you're having trouble with this, love to pray with you and talk to you about it. So um, just to wrap that into it. All right. So let's pray. 
and then we'll head to worship and, and things. Lord, I'm, it's such a huge thing, Lord, that we take so much for granted. And Lord, I just pray that you would burn and just embed this in our hearts, that we would seek ways to forgive, seek ways to express it, uh, seek ways to live it out, um, and to just totally belong to you. Lord, that even in our humanity, that we would forgive like you forgave us, and that we would hold that to be something very pure and something very sacred to enter into. And Lord, I know, just because I know, that that folks have scars, and that they have things that are hard to get rid of. And Lord, I just pray that you would give them, for those things that are just difficult to forgive, that you would give them the strength and the faith to be able to enter through that door. Lord, you've given them the keys, and I pray that they would unlock it. And now, Lord, as we enter into worship, I just pray that you would be blessed, and that, that as we come together and sing your praises and glory, that you would be blessed in everything that's going to happen. And Lord, we just ask you still to move in our hearts, even through the songs. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, so April mentioned it earlier that we don't pass an offering thing. Um, I think.